This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. On today's program, guest speaker Rev. Rich Wilkerson Sr. shares a message entitled, I Choose Honor. During this program, you'll learn why honoring others above yourself is so important. Let's join Pastor Wilkerson right now. I have a story today to tell you from the heart of St. Paul. And it's found in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 16. We're going to bring it up on the screen so that you can see it. But if you have your Bible, I'd like you to open your Bible to Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 16. The apostle writes these words, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. I want to talk for a few moments today on this thought. Honor is our calling. I believe if you learn honor, if you don't already know it, if you learn honor, you will be welcomed at any table. You'll be welcomed in the home of any background, of any ethnic persuasion, of any socioeconomic persuasion, rich, poor, in between. If you learn and practice honor, if our first thought is love and our next word is honor, doors open up. I want to say three things about this scripture and tell you a couple stories, then we'll be. Is it okay if I tell stories? I know that my wife and I are co chancellors of North Central University, but I'm so tired of reading books and reporting and finishing my doctoral dissertation. I, could I just tell stories? Just some stories, okay? We're, we're not going to parse the Old Testament Hebrew. Just a few stories today. Is, is that okay? First thing I want to say, please remember this. Honor others above yourselves. Honor others above yourselves. Here's what the apostle says in Romans 12, 10. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. In other words, when we approach people as if they're better than us, they open the door for us. In our culture, if we're not careful, we start living by, this is one class, this is another class, this is another class. I feel like I'm in this class. That means I honor you, but I don't honor you. That's wrong. That's not Bible. Paul says all of us are right here. And we're looking up to every class that people class people as. So everyone we meet, the poorest beggar on the street, the wealthiest woman in town, 
We honor her. We honor that man. Whatever it takes, honor others above yourselves. The second thing I want to say about this passage of Scripture is honor those in need. Don't just honor people who are on your same level of socioeconomic persuasion. No, if there are brothers and sisters or people you don't know that you come in contact with that are busted, honor them, love them, do everything you can to help them. Yesterday across America, it was serve day for churches everywhere. Thousands of servant leaders came together all across the country to serve people in need. Blessings blew out of the churches all over the world yesterday. May those blessings blow out of our lives every day as God's men and women. You know, in our life, we look at Romans 12, 13, and it says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. We have, she's gone to heaven now, we have an auntie in our family named Auntie Marie Johnsrud. And in 1945, as a 30-year-old single woman from Tacoma, Washington, just as the Second World War was ending, she left America by ship and sailed to Upper Volta, now known as Burkina Faso, West Africa. And during those 35 years, Marie never lived on more than $200 a month support from our churches here in America. She was a lousy public speaker. She couldn't stand up and ask for money if you put a gun to her head. She was this nice little Norwegian lady, just a godly woman, nicest person you ever met. But talking in front of people just freaked her. Consequently, not much money was raised. But with that $200 a month, she spoke seven languages. With that $200 a month, she did two things. She put thousands of children K through college in those 35 years. She adopted 240 orphan children as her own, raised them, took them through college. She ordained countless young men and women into full-time Christian service. Huh. In 1980, my wife and I were young evangelists. We went to the SeaTac airport with our van and my mother-in-law and father-in-law to pick Auntie Rhea up at the airport. She was coming home at the age of 65. We picked her up at the airport. She had a brown paper sack in her hand, and she was a big gal, way big, all over. She was the kind of auntie that little kids love because when she would hug you, you would go away for a while. And little kids felt safe in there. And she had wet kisses. And from the time I married Robin until the time she died on September 1st every year, I would get a nice birthday card from Auntie Ree with $5 in it, $200 a month. 
I said, Reed, I'll run get the van. I got a big van. And you all run down to the baggage claim. We'll pull around and we'll pack all your stuff. Oh, no, Rich, no. You don't have to do that. We'll all go to your car together. I don't have anything. All I have is this brown paper sack. I said, well, you must be shipping all your stuff home after 35 years. Oh, no, I had nothing. No, little few things I had I gave away to the villagers. And No, this is all I have. And I got in the van to take them. They're laughing in the back and talking, praising God, and I'm having it out with God. I said, God, you really know how to take care of your servants, don't you? Put them on the mission field, single their entire life, 35 years. They get off the plane with a brown paper sack. Excellent. And then the Holy Spirit took me to the woodshed. So, Rich, you are chasing with everything you've got after what Marie already has. And it's not money. And I, I, I was crying by the time I drove in the driveway. My mother-in-law had rented her apartment in our church retirement center at the top floor. And it overlooked Mount Rainier, little one-bedroom efficiency. And through the years, my boys, after school on Wednesday, would run across the church parking lot into Ree's room. And she would take them on the bus downtown to Woolworths. And they were, they were in love with her. They called her Auntie Ree. They couldn't say Marie. One day I was home. I was on the road as an evangelist that time. And one day I was home on a Wednesday, which rarely happened. And I went over to pick the boys up. And the boys were always played with her on Wednesday. And then she would take them over to Royal Rangers and Missionettes and the kids program. Richie was probably three. And John Fulton, my oldest, was six. And I walked in. When we got off the plane, when she got off that plane and I drove home, her home that first day, the Lord spoke to my wife and I that night and said, give Marie $150 a month. We were just starting on the road as evangelists. We said, okay. We gave it through the church anonymously. The church knew who it came from, but she didn't. And she received every month from us $150. And that day, as I walked in, the boys were playing and having a good time, and I just sat down in the chair. Marie had a huge checkbook. Do you remember those old, huge legal checkbooks where the check was about a quarter of a mile long, and you just wrote it out there, five bucks, and you signed? You know, remember those? For, like, like, like for business checkbooks. She had one of those. And she's writing checks furiously. I said, well, Marie, what's going on? Are you paying bills? And you guys, she got the biggest laugh. She went, oh, bills. Are you kidding? I don't have any bills. I don't own anything. What a miserable life that would be to have bills. And I went, oh, dear God, think about it. <laughs> I said, well, what do you do? What do you, what do you do? She goes, oh, Rich, every month this is the happiest day of my month. I go, what are you doing? Well, she said, you know, I was flying home on that plane. Remember, you came and picked me up that day, you and Robin. I said, yeah. She goes, I was flying home from Africa the last time. And I was praying to God. And I said, God, my entire life, I've never given a dime to missions. I've never, ever supported missions. Here's a woman that has raised children. She translated the Bible from English into French into the Mosi language by herself. 
I never gave missions a dime. I didn't have any money. The 200 a month wasn't enough. I, I couldn't support missions. I, I, I put the kids through school. I fed them. I, I raised them. I, I, I witnessed. We ran the clinic with the 200 a month. We did it. She, she never had running water, never had an indoor plumbing, never had indoor toilets, nothing. She said, I was coming home, and I felt so bad about it. They were so guilty. And I asked God, I said, God, I don't have any money, but I'm fine. But God, if you give me some money, I promise I'll give it all back. And you know, she said, two days after you brought me back to the home that Lorraine rented for me, which I don't deserve, I went down to the post box at the church retirement center just to go there because I don't have anyone that knows me or writes me. But I opened it up and there was a letter in there. And I opened it up. And she goes, Rich, I'm telling you, I opened it up. And there was a check in there from God for $150. And she said, every month on the same day, there is a $150 check that comes from God. And that day I put it in the bank and then I write these 10 $15 checks and I mail them to 10 of my former children who now pastor large churches in Burkina Faso. You know, just before she died. She was 80-something. The Assemblies of God called and said, would you fly to Upper Volta, Burkina Faso, for their 50th anniversary? They've asked that you be there. So my mother-in-law paid for her other sister and Rita to go. They arrived in Burkina Faso on the plane. A big car picked them up and took them to a hotel. There weren't hotels when she first went there in 1945. Gave them a beautiful room and said, we'll pick you up at 6 o'clock for the meeting. They picked her up and her, her sister, and they thought that they would be going to some little bush church. Instead, they took Marie to the stadium in the capital city. And as she walked out of the car and into the stadium, 35,000 people stood to their feet and applauding as Marie walked onto the platform. They were screaming, Mama! Mama! Mama, what's better, to be a millionaire or, or have nothing and see a church thriving because you honored those who were in need? The last thing I want to say, here it is. Honor the underdog. When you walk into a room and see someone in that room that is hurting, that is obviously the person in the room that no one else wants to hang out with, go to that person first because they will be surrounded by Jesus. Whether they know the Lord or not, they will be surrounded by Jesus Christ because Jesus is always with the underdog. Romans 12 Verse 16, part B. Be willing to associate with people of low esteem. Do not be conceited. Oh, church. We have another uncle in our family, Uncle Mark Buntain. 
Some of you that are older, my age, 38 and higher, uh, <laughs> I wish. No, I don't wish. I've been there. I did that. Anyway, somehow I got through that. Mark Montaigne was one of the greatest missionaries in modern history, part of our fellowship, Calcutta, India. He built a work from nothing in 1955, so that when he died in 1989, they feed 30,000 children every morning. The only meal they'll get, they have 18,000 kids in their K-12 through school. The work of the gospel through the Calcutta Mission of Mercy in Calcutta, India is beyond my ability to describe to you. You'd have to be there. 1980, when Mother Teresa won the Nobel Peace Prize, this saint drove the Nobel Peace Prize across town to Mark's office, walked upstairs and said, here, you deserve it more than me. And he said, get out of here. They were best friends. Several years ago, my father-in-law, Fulton Buntain, brother to Mark Buntain, had another brother who was not by blood related, Pastor Jim Swanson. His dad died when he was eight years old and the Swansons kind of were raised with the Buntains, great people of God. My boys loved Uncle Jim like he was blood. My son, John Fulton, is in Tacoma, Washington today, pastoring about three hours north of Portland. Two years ago, Uncle Jim passed away. He had his full mind, but he was sick and wasting away. And my boy, John Fulton, would drive down on a regular basis to talk with Uncle Jim and pray with him. The last time he was with Uncle Jim at hospice, Uncle Jim had his full mind. He said, John Fulton, I want to tell you a story, son. It's about Uncle Mark. We'd heard so many hundreds of stories about Uncle Mark Montaigne, who went to heaven in 1989. He said, I remember probably 45 years ago, we were in our 30s, and, and I went to Calcutta to be with Mark for two weeks. And he said, Mark had this little Vespa. And I'd jump on the back of it. We'd tool through the streets of Calcutta, nine miles long, four miles wide, 36 square miles, the size of the Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport. 19 million people lived there. Three million on the street. They conceive on the street. They give birth on the street. They die on the street. They eat on the street. They bathe on the street. In the morning, trucks come by, pick up the dead bodies, take them outside of the city and burn them. I'm telling you, it's a desperate city. Poverty stricken. He said, we were tooling through the streets night after night, bringing people to the hospital. They have a beautiful hospital they built there. He said, one night, Uncle Mark got a call late. We got out of bed. He said, let's go, Jim. I said, Mark, we worked all day. Let's go. He goes, no, we got to go. There's a man in need. He has leprosy. Someone called and said, he has no family, no friends. Nobody knows him. He has nothing. He's going to die. We got to pray for him. We've got to help him. He said, we jumped on the Vespa. He goes, I probably had my pajama bottoms on. He said, I was so tired, I'm holding on. You know, Jim weighed about 280, and the Vespa would kind of go up. Mark would say, lean forward, Jim, and they're, to they're tooling through it. Midnight, one in the morning, you know, donkeys and cows, they believe you'll come back as a cow, and they're tooling through it and, and just racing through cabs and people, and finally about 20 minutes on the Vespa, Mark says, this is the street, and heads down this street. There's no 30, 45 years ago, there are no addresses. It's just a mess. Head down this street, and he slows down, and he goes, Jim, I think this is it. And they came to this alley. Jim, Jim said it was an alleyway. 
Now, folks, Jim saw Jesus a week later. That's how close he was to death. Now, I'm telling you this story. Why am I saying, why would he lie? Why would you blow some fake story up just before you're going to see Jesus? He said, John Fulton, believe me when I tell you, we parked the Vespa, got up, walked over. My eyes had adjusted to the dark, and Mark yelled into the hole. There was a hole in the side of this wall. Anybody in there? He said, a, a man said, hey. He said, momentarily, the man came out of the hole, and there were leprous sores oozing from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. He said, your Uncle Mark, I watched him as God is my witness, went over to the man barehanded and laid his hand on that man's leprous forehead, a contagious disease, and said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command this leprosy to go in Jesus' name. He said, John Fulton, under God, I tell you, son, I watched this man's skin heal before my very eyes so that the skin was smooth and healed with no scars. He said, I sat back on the Vespa shaking under the power of God. I'd never seen something like that. Whereupon the man was sobbing, a Hindu. And he went into the hole. And five minutes later, he came out hesitantly with a dog that he had a chain on the collar of the dog. Tears were streaming down his cheeks. And he said, Uncle, that's what they call the men of God in Calcutta. This is all I have. I have no friends. I have no family. I have nothing. Only my dog. All I have. Please, you take my dog. This is my gift. You take it. And Jim said, I reached in and said, no, 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 sir, you don't have. And in that moment, Mark goes, hey, no. We're taking the dog. And Jim said, what are you talking? He said, I wanted to hit Mark. Mark said, this is all he has to give to the God that just healed him of leprosy. We're taking the dog. Jim was scared of Uncle Mark at that point. Uncle Mark looked at the old man and said, you are God's answer to prayer to me. For months, we have 1,500 people at our ministry, full-time employees, and they do. For months, I've prayed that God would give us a security dog. We have no security dog at the mission. We need security. And tonight, you have answered my prayer by giving us this dog. So Graham was six years old. He's out of control. Yes, he's been raised from the dead. But our life for about 10 or 12 years was hell on earth. The doctor said he didn't feel comfortable in his own skin. As I said earlier, when he would go to a special needs school, people at that school would attack him sometimes. We would pray that no one would beat our boy up. One night I was home from the road. Thursday night was always family dinner. Robin would make a big chicken dinner. All the fixings, the boys would sit around the table. Graham was six, Taylor was three, the other boys up to 12. And after I prayed for the meal, Graham went into one of his fits, picked the plate up, 
threw it up in the air against the wall, chicken, beans, potatoes coming down the wall. He kicks the chair out, screaming out of control, heads down his, the hallway to his bedroom, stomping all the way. Got in the room and slammed the door. We could hear him screaming and yelling in there and pulling all the drawers out and emptying them of the clothes. And we would sit at the table. It happened probably twice a year. We would sit at the table. His brothers would bow their head and they would feel embarrassed for him. And Robin and I would just pray in the spirit. We had nothing else to do. There was no recourse. That night I waited until he had calmed down. No more noise. I headed down the hallway and I got into his bedroom and he was sitting on the bottom bunk he and his brother shared. And the little boy, six years old, had his elbows on his knees and his head in his hands. And he was sobbing, just sobbing. He'd finally gotten control. He was sobbing. And I loved him so much and I went over and I sat next to him and I wrapped his legs across my leg and held him close to my side. I said, Graham, son, what is it? He couldn't say dad in those days. He called me day. He was sobbing and finally looked at me and said, day, I stupid day, I stupid day, Graham, so stupid day. And I held him tight and I said, Graham, you're not stupid. You're a Wilkerson. We're a little crazy, but we're not stupid. <laughs> I said, you're daddy's boy. We're going to get through this, son. But a couple weeks ago on our Tuesday night young adult meeting, packed with hundreds of young adults, Pastor Terrence called him up on the stage to close the thing out in prayer. Here's Graham, 32 years of age. Anything we can do, Lord. Hope our students, Lord. Help us do anything we can do. The kids, Lord. The schools, Lord. Help us our churches, Lord. Help us our families, Lord. We can do anything because you got God in your hands, Lord. And God says you can do anything. Did you hear that part? If he could do it for me, he can do it for you. Oh, my friends, if he can do it for any of us, he can do it for the rest of us. Hallelujah. You can learn more about the various ministries that Emmanuel offers and see Sunday services and Wednesday prayer services live every week. Check out EmmanuelCC.org for details. Thank you for listening to Emmanuel Today. Please be sure to tell others about this broadcast that they could enjoy next week at this same time.